Good morning, everybody. How we doing? I've got to say, this is, this, is, this is one of the good days. We have all sorts of days in our lives. Some are not always as good as others, but this is one of the good days. It's great to be here. It's great to see so many people. It's great that the people have come to join in the celebration and what's happening here this morning. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm seeing that the guys that are getting baptized, you're all ready. You've got your trunks on. You've got your goggles. You're all good, yeah? Good, good. Right. In about five minutes' time, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll ask the guys that are getting baptized to come forward. I'll actually say, if you're not too comfortable in your seat, you might want to come forward too. It'd be nice if we could maybe gather around. We're a family here. We're friends here. We're, we're all part of this. So in a couple of moments, I'm going to say a few words, and then I'm going to invite everyone, if you can, to come forward. Of course, if you're comfortable where you are, that's great, but you'll probably not see very much from the back. Okay. Before we get into the baptisms, then there's just a few things that I'm wanting to talk about to just explain baptism, maybe. Um, baptism is a physical act. It's a physical thing that we're going to do, but it's expressing a spiritual truth. What we're doing, the people that are being baptized, what we're saying is we're expressing publicly, we're saying publicly that we share with Jesus in the fact of his death and resurrection. The person being baptized is making a public testimony. That's in front of all of you guys. That they're being united with Jesus. And as Jesus died for sin, the person is symbolically dying to sin in their old life. And by being fully immersed in the water, this symbolizes the burial of the old life and the old sinful nature as us religious types like to call it. But basically it's our old selfish way of living. That gets buried. The old, the old nature is left. The old life is left under the water. And the person is symbolically raised. We do bring you back up. The person is raised back to new life with Jesus. The person is declaring that they're going to now live for Jesus. Be his disciple. What that means is follow his way. The Bible says this in Galatians Two, it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a new life. And we're going to get really clever here now and use a Greek word as well. The Greek word, see, it makes me look like I'm a biblical scholar or something. It's just, it's actually a really good picture. The Greek word, baptizo, is where we get our word baptism from. And all that baptizo means, it talks about when you get a bit of cloth and you dip it in the dye. And you bring it back out, you've got to fully immerse it, but when it comes back out, it's a different color. And that's where we get our word baptism from. I'm only saying that, not to make myself sound clever, just because it's a really good picture. And it really helped me when I was trying to get my head around what baptism is. There's another scripture I'm going to share. Romans 6 says this. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father... Now we also may live new lives. Colossians says this, Colossians 2. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The other reason, as a church, we believe that we should baptize is quite simply Jesus commanded it. He says in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, people who believed, people who decided to commit their lives to follow Jesus, were baptized that same day, wherever they could find water, not this lovely, warm, comfortable pool that we have. So count yourself lucky. Acts 2 says this, it says, those who believed what Peter said, Peter had been preaching, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So baptism symbolizes washing and cleansing. We're cleansed from our sins. That's just our selfish way of living, our living apart from God. We're cleansed from that and made new. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and the water is what symbolizes this washing and cleansing of our past life. Acts 22 says this. It's a command. It's a call to action. It says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So in baptism, we identify with the death, with the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward regeneration. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, I'm still buzzing from that earlier on. I thought that was brilliant. And I would have to echo what Sarah said as well. You know, there's something special about mornings like this. This isn't hype. This is real lives that have been touched and transformed and changed and are heading in a new direction as a result of what Jesus has done for them. That's something worth celebrating. That's something worth being happy about. And I'm happy about that. Anyway, my title this morning, New Creation. It is appropriate because that's what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Massive congratulations to all those that were baptized today. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Apparently, the first rule of biblical scholarship is that whenever you see the word therefore you have to find out what it's there for so if it says therefore if anyone was in Christ we have to find out what that therefore is there for yeah so if it says that in verse 17 we need to find out what the therefore is there for so let's start about 14 to 16 and what the verses 14 to 16 refer to is where Paul tells us that all the believers have that have died with Christ no longer live for themselves what that means is that our lives at their core are no longer simply worldly. They're now spiritual. Our death, what has gone, the old has gone, what has gone is that old sin nature which was nailed to the cross with Christ. It was buried with him. And just as he was raised up by God, so we are raised up in the new life the new life we spoke about earlier, the new life that was mentioned in Romans 6, the new life that's raised up that Paul refers to as the new creation. So to understand the new creation, first we must understand that it's a creation. It's something created by God. It's new creation. It's a new thing that's been created by God. People here are new people, new creations created by God. John 
chapter 1 says this. It says, in verse 13, it says, Children, the new creation, these are not children born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. New creations, born of God. This tells us that the new birth was brought about by the will of God. We didn't just inherit a new nature or kind of try and bolt it on. Or we didn't decide just to create ourselves anew. God didn't just clean up the old nature. He created something entirely fresh and entirely new. A new creation. Second thing I want us to understand with us is that old things have passed away. They have gone. They have died. The old just refers to everything that's part of our old nature. The natural pride that we have. Our love of sin. Our love of selfishness. Our love of ourselves. Which is simply our own way of living without heeding God. That's gone. That's what goes. That's what dies. Old means reliance on our works. On our own goodness. Which I'm sure we'll all agree can be flawed. Old means our old opinions, our habits, our passions. Most significantly, what we loved has passed away, especially our overwhelming love of self and our self-righteousness and our self-promotion and our self-justification and our excuses and our ego. That's gone. That's what dies. The new creation looks outwardly towards Christ instead of inwardly towards self. The old things have died. They were nailed to the cross. The sinful nature, the me-centered life is gone. And along with the old passing away, the new has come. Old dead things are replaced with new things, full of life, full of the glory of God. The new creation delights in the things of God and hates the things of the world. And now, when I say that, this is the same sort of thing that Paul refers to as the flesh. The stuff of our fleshly lives, not our spiritual lives. We don't have the same time for that. We're new creations. We see the world differently. The Bible becomes like a new book to us. It comes alive to us. I've, heard, I've spoken to so many people that when, once they've made a commitment to follow Jesus, suddenly what were just words on a page have actually become words that give them life. It's like the words jump out the page almost. They have life. You have life because the Spirit in you now recognizes the Spirit that gave you the words. And there's a new life emerges. And it's filled with meaning. Everything's changed. It's a new day. We have new feelings towards people, a new kind of love towards family and friends, a compassion that we maybe never had before. We even feel sorry for our enemies. Compassion kicks in in a way that it could never kick in in our old self. We have a new love for all of mankind, if that's not too huggy and happy for you. But we do. We actually love one another. We view things differently because God loves every single one of us and every one of his children God loves. We start to see with his eyes and love with his heart. It changes us from the inside out. We're new, brand new. People that we once had no time for, we actually love and accept just as our father 
love and accept us through Jesus. That was the thing that always got me. That was the thing that I could never understand, actually, was I knew all the things that I had. I know I've said this before, but I knew all the things that I'd done wrong. I knew who I was and who I'd become. I knew my attitudes. I knew the things I was bitter about, the things I was nasty about. I knew all of that. And then I realized that God loved me anyway. (laughs) That's a supernatural love because if you're just looking at me, there wasn't much to love. But God loves. And we begin to love. The new creation loves in the way that God loves and sees in the way that God sees. Because the main thing is, and what we saw there in the, the, the baptism was that when God looks at you and me, he sees Jesus, who never sinned, who was his son, who is his delight. That's who he sees when he looks at us. When we have, when the old has gone and the new has come. The new self hates sin and selfishness that still tries to have a hold on us. It still tries to destroy us. But the new self wants no more of that. The difference with the new creation is it is no longer, as the Bible puts it, a slave to sin. We have the choice. We can let the sin reign and rule in our lives. Or we can be dead to sin and alive to Christ. New creation. Best of all, though, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And we now have the power to make that choice. And we can back up our good intentions with a new character. A new creation, you, are an amazing thing. Formed in the mind of God and created by his power and for his glory. The Bible, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to read something in a minute. And I hadn't read it for years. I read it when I was a new Christian. I hadn't read it for years, but I've kept going back to it all week. So I'm going to read what the Bible says, what God says about who you are risen in Christ. This is about you. This is about me. Please let this sink in. I'll take a a moment or two, but let this sink in. I am loved. I am loved. I am accepted. I am a child of God. I am Jesus' friend. I'm a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. I'm united with God and one spirit with him. I'm a temple of God. His spirit lives in me. I'm a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus Christ. I am now free from condemnation. I am a new creation because I am in Christ. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am established, anointed and sealed by God. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ. I have direct access to God. I am chosen to bear fruit. I am one of God's living stones being built up in a spiritual house, which means I'm important as part of the team. I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I share his nature. These are, I can give you scripture references for all of these, by the way. I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. God works in me to help me to do the things that he wants to do. I don't have to do it in my own strength. 
I can ask God for wisdom and he will give me what I need. Yes. Yes. God will work within me. It's not all up to me. We're a new creation. It's a new start. And we need to learn to walk into and walk through our new lives. Now, I don't have time in the 10 minutes or so I have left to even begin to explain how to do this. The apostle Paul had to write the most of the New Testament in order to even attempt that. So if I can manage just two things this morning, that's what I'll do. It's this. First, I'd like us to contemplate, to think about, to understand the breadth and the scale and the significance of our new creation and God's plan for our lives and his plan for the wider world. Because if you think about it, if we are changed, we are then agents of change in the world that we live in. That was the first part. I want us to start to understand that. And the second one, because I'm short of time, is I'd just like to give one piece of advice, a warning even. Friends, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle with daily consequences in our lives, real consequences in our lives. And whether we did so recently or many years ago, when we made that decision, we picked a side. And like it or not, there is a fight. So in the remaining time this morning, we'll look at a story. It's not a new story. It's one of the best known stories in the world. You might have heard it first at Sunday school, but you've probably also read it on the back pages of the sports magazines every January when the Scottish Cup comes around. It's a story that's been the template for countless Hollywood movies. Its best-selling books have been written on this story. Hundreds of motivational talks have been given on this story. It's the greatest underdog story that we know. Even the names are a kind of cultural shorthand, so when I say them, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. David and Goliath. We all know, or think we know, what that means. And we don't have to think about it too long to realize that there are giants in our own stories, in our own lives today. Giants that are intimidating us, taunting us, demoralizing us, and keeping us from the fullness of life that God has dreamed up for us. The giants might be different for every one of us, but often they'll include things like addiction and anger and rejection and insecurity. But in the short time we've got today, I'll focus on just one, fear. We can read in the story, and we can read the story, and actually I would recommend that you go back and read the story. It's in 1 Samuel 17. Please take the time, treat yourself, sit down, popcorn, enjoy it. It's a good story. Go back and revisit it again. But before David chooses the five smooth stones towards the end and slays the Goliath, we read that he comes out and he offers this taunt to the Israelite army. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. 
the giant has to fall or we will become its subject. It will own us. That giant in our lives, if it doesn't fall, it will own us. Yet wasn't it for freedom that Christ set us free? The Bible says that the Israelites, when they heard this, they were dismayed and terrified, unable to move. They were paralyzed by fear. I heard a great line quite recently from a guy called Levi Lusco. He said that fear is faith in the enemy. I thought it was a good one. Help me to understand. That's what fear is. Fear is faith in your enemy. See, fear believes that everything the enemy plans to do will happen. Fear forgets that God is great and has a plan for your life that cannot be thwarted. Fear says this, you are not going to make it. This is too big for you to overcome. Fear says, you might as well give up. This is where it falls apart. You are never going to recover from this. Something bad is going to happen to you. This is not going to work out. Don't even think that there's a way through this. Only terrible things will happen. Nobody cares about you. The worst thing that could happen will happen. That's what fear says. Now that last bit there, that was scribbled down from a great talk that I heard from a guy called Louis Giglio about facing Goliath. And if you've got the time, if you've got YouTube, I would thoroughly recommend that you look this clip up. It's just brilliant. Louis Giglio, Goliath. Brilliant. I would thoroughly recommend you dig it out on YouTube. But the thing is, that transcript, that, what I said there, yeah, somebody else said it, but it could easily have been a transcript taken out of my own head only a few years back. See, a seed of fear grows to become a giant, dominating your thinking and limiting your life. Do not be intimidated. How many times when God speaks to us in the Bible, the opening lines are, do not fear. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, right through the Bible, do not fear. God knows that we'll get intimidated. Do not fear. So do not be intimidated. As Giglio says, fear must fall. That's the giant. Fear must fall. It sucks the life out of us and it steals the glory away from God for the new life that he's given us and all the promises and all the plans that he has for us. All too often these days we hear of situations where darkness closes in on people so completely that any possibility of victorious life just seems lost and hopeless and even continuing seems pointless. Fear is real in our stories, but all is not lost. There's one big idea that Giglio develops, and I, I really want to get across today. At first hearing, it almost flies in the face of everything that we've traditionally thought about the story of David and Goliath. I mean, Goliath's obviously the, the giant that I'm facing in my life. But here's the thing. I am not David in the story of David and Goliath. What? 
But surely the narrative goes, if a young and ill-equipped shepherd boy like David can take down a mighty warrior like Goliath, then you can go out and take down the giants in your life. And we get encouraged, and we get pumped up, and we claim the victory, and we defeat the giants in our lives, and we go from victory to victory and mountaintop to mountaintop. All is good. But the reality I've found is that many of the giants that stand in our way are still there, stopping us and intimidating us years later. And not only are we living defeated, but we're now failed and ashamed and frustrated and defeated. Because we're not able to take down our giants. And I don't think God ever intended us to. You see, we just assumed that we were the hero in our story. But the Bible's not about us. We're not the hero in any of the stories. Anyone want to guess who is? Yeah. Jesus is the hero. Look for Jesus in the story. Always. Jesus is David from Bethlehem, a shepherd, a deliverer of his people. Not me. And this is good news. I don't have to man up for the fight. Jesus is my giant killer. And his death and burial and resurrection, he defeated my biggest giant forever. Yes. Your anger, your giant, your anger, your fear, your addiction, whatever, has been defeated. You're not subject to your giant. You don't have to listen to his words. The good news is that in the baptism this morning is that you have a choice. You can choose the death, the burial, the resurrection power of Jesus. Your giant has been defeated. You are a new creation. Now, can we have the band up, please? I'm going to close in a minute. That's me virtually done. But, We're going to pray a prayer all together in a moment. Now, if you're here today and you haven't made the decision that these people have made, that some of us have made, but you would like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and step into a new life and a new relationship with him, please pray this prayer along with me and I'll ask the rest of the congregation to join in also. So if we could all bow our heads, close our eyes, I'm going to say a prayer. If you could repeat the prayer after me, and if you want to give your life to this Jesus that you've heard about today and follow him, then please pray this prayer also. Okay, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father God, just repeat after me. Father God, thank you that you love me, even though I've not loved you. I know I've lived my life my way, and I've left you out. I know that this has stopped me from having a friendship with you. Please forgive me for going my own way and doing the wrong things I've done. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and came back to life so that I could be forgiven. I commit my life to you because I want to live your way. 
I choose this day to follow you and your plan for my life. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And ask you to send your Holy Spirit to help me. This I pray with all my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with every eye closed, please, with every eye closed, now, of respect for each other and for this holy moment, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and asked Jesus into your heart, or if you prayed it after some time away from Jesus but would want to come home and make a fresh start, with every eye closed, please raise your hand. Acknowledge to yourself that before God that you've made this decision. We'll take another moment. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, that person. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Now, if you've made that decision this morning, please feel free to come and speak to me at the end of the service. Also, there's some gold bags at the top end of the table at the back that will help you with the decision that you've just made. But please, please feel free to come and have a chat. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. God bless you.